0: All right, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. I'll start by telling you a story, though. Um, when I was uh, in college and seminary, I used to do a lot of backpacking. And, uh, you know, if you have never backpacked before, you may be thinking to yourself, well, why? Like, why, why do people do things like that? Why do they voluntarily put 50, 75 pounds on your back and walk through the woods when it's, you know, sun is beating down on you or rain is coming or even snow or sleet? Sleep on the ground and drink out of dirty streams, and not take a shower for a week or two. Why? And I, you know, all I can say is, if I have to explain it, you'll just never get it, right? It's just awesome, and I love it. Uh, and one of the games that we used to play when I was backpacking is that we would try to slip rocks into each other's packs, right? And I have, I've literally, I've seen our, our very own Lexi Coyle do this to a friend of hers, Slip it in, you know, and then you get to the end of the night and you're pulling everything out and you're putting your bag out and you realize, oh my gosh, you know, somebody put a rock in my bag. It's great when it happens to somebody else. It's kind of stinky when you realize, okay, I just carried an extra 10, 15 pounds all day long. But, you know, I thought uh, as I was thinking about that, it's really a good metaphor uh, for life sometimes. Or you feel like you're, you're already burdened down and you're carrying your load and then an extra rock is put in there, right? The circumstances of life, you, you, you don't want them, you didn't ask for them. You even sometimes know that they're there, but you can't get rid of those things, and, and it, it just becomes a, a burden, and it becomes heavy to bear. And I think that the way that we respond to those things, those extra rocks that are put into our pack, it really shapes us. We either, we either embrace it and allow the Lord to use that to make us stronger, or, or it just begins to crush us. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I want to look, actually, at three women who carried Burdens that were were really difficult burdens to bear. We're starting our series for the summer on New Testament character studies. We're going to start all the way at the beginning of the Gospels. Luke, three ladies who carried really heavy burdens, and they responded well. And uh, they were already strong, and they grew stronger through the process. So we're going to look at Elizabeth and Mary and Anna. Let's start reading in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Elizabeth carried the burden of unfulfilled longings, advanced in years, and she'd never been able to have a child. And You know, maybe you're thinking, well, it's Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, we should be talking about all the great things about um, having children and raising children, all that kind of thing. Uh, Instead, we're talking about infertility. Why? Well, uh, you may or may not be aware, but uh, this Sunday is, uh, for some ladies, the worst Sunday of the year. There are are ladies who say, I can't go to church on this particular Sunday. And, you know, if you weren't aware of that, it's okay, don't feel guilty about it. I didn't really realize that until we entered into that that sorority, so to speak, and we had four years of infertility, and I remember at one point my wife uh, looked at me in tears and said, why is this so hard? And my response was, well, you know, for 47 times God said no. We said yes on the 48th time, and uh, we had our son Ben and later had our daughter Anna Joy, uh, but we've known friends who've gone much longer than that period of time, some who've gone a whole lifetime, and it's an incredibly heavy burden to bear um, what you may have seen in the scripture is that barrenness or infertility is an enormously significant theme. God is, is working through that process of barrenness. And so you have some really key figures in the Bible in God's redemptive history like Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and Hannah who experienced uh, infertility. And the the lesson that is learned is is not that they did something wrong. In fact, if you look at each of their lives... These are, are godly women, women who are trying to follow after the Lord. In fact, look at the description of, of Elizabeth and Zacharias in verse 6, chapter 1. It says, They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. In other words, their infertility was, was not a punishment for sin. And you have frequently this interchange throughout the Bible where people are trying to come up with overly simplistic explanations for why others are suffering. And they're always trying to point to sin. It's like in the book of Job. Well, Job, you must be suffering because of something you did. And Job's like, I don't think so. And the Lord says, no, you're missing it. There's something uh, bigger that God is doing. And in this process, if you look at each of these ladies' lives, God is, is bringing redemption for all nations. They're part of this redemptive plan. But also God is paying attention to their personal lives, to them individually. And the lesson is always this. Wait. Wait. And it's a terribly, terribly difficult lesson to learn. But the lesson is this. The lesson is wait on the Lord. Now, not all of them waited well at every point in their lives. Sarah did not wait well. Remember the story? angel of the Lord came to Abraham and said, you're going to have a child. Abraham, I know that you're old and Sarah's old. You're going to have a child. And um, uh, Abraham and Sarah assumed that this would, of course, uh, transpire quickly. Uh, but it didn't. And so, as they waited, and they waited, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, Sarah decided, well, uh, maybe the promise wasn't through me, but just through Abraham, and so she said, Abraham, this is what I want you to do, I want you to sleep with my maid. <laughs> yeah, I got a solution for you. And uh, it didn't work out well, in fact, that's uh, conflict in the Middle East. You know, Sarah, <laughs> Abraham takes Hagar, and now we have conflict in the Middle East. I, I know I'm oversimplifying things in, on a global scale here, but that's, that is kind of where it started, because she just... She couldn't wait any longer. And then she brought uh, conflict into her, her own home. And then the angel came back another time and he said, Abraham, I think you missed the point. It's going to be through Sarah. Abraham laughed. Angel came back another time. Sarah was listening at the door of the tent, and then Sarah laughed, right? She she really struggled to believe. Uh, Rachel did not wait well. Remember her story? Jacob uh, wanted to marry Rachel. But his father-in-law tricked him and brought in Leah instead, the older sister. He didn't want to marry Leah, but he got Leah. So then he decided, well, I'll work a little longer and I'll get Rachel too, because that'll solve it. Instead of one wife, I'll have two. That'll, that'll make everything easy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so now he's got two wives. Ra- Leah starts having kids. Boom, boom, boom. Rachel can't have children. So Rachel says, I've got a great idea. I'll have my husband sleep with my maid. It worked out so well, right, for Sarah. So we'll try that solution. So then her maid starts having children, and then Leah has more children. And then Leah can't have any more children, so she gives Jacob her maid. And then uh, he has more children with the maid. And then Rachel actually is able to get pregnant. So now Jacob has two wives, two maids, 12 kids. And thus, together, they raise the highly dysfunctional family we know as the chosen people of God, right? That's, that's where all of that came from. And, you know... Uh, we'll save that for another Mother's Day lesson at some point in the future. Right? It was hard to wait. There's another, a lady who did wait well, though, and that's Hannah. And Hannah waited well. I want you to mark your place in Luke 1 and turn all the way back to First Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. This is during the days, of the period of the judges. First Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah. And he had two wives, which, all right, you already know, <laughs> there's something in this story is not going to work well. He had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Peninnah, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And Hannah resisted the urge to say to her husband, you just don't get it. (laughs) And you can't solve it. It says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the Lord of the temple. She was distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she said, making a vow, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. A razor shall never come on his head. Hannah had a a difficult life in her own home. Her, Her rival, the other wife, had child after child after child. And as a result of that, provoked her, taunted her, because she couldn't have children she waited and waited but in her waiting it wasn't as if she was pretending not to want she still wanted it and so she cried out to the Lord she begged the Lord she pleaded with the Lord in tears and weeping and said Lord this is the longing of my heart and if you give it to me I'm going to give it right back to you which reminds us of a fundamental truth and it's this The, the things that we most long for will never ultimately satisfy the deepest desires of our heart not on this earth Right, not on the surface. We, we long for them, we cling for them, but when we get them, we find that they ultimately are not satisfying. I mean, think about when, you, when you, your, your kids were little and they're asking for this toy and they're begging and they're pleading and they're controlling, right? And they want it, they want it. Want, finally, you give it to them. Two weeks later, it's in the yard, it's broken, it's covered with mud and dirt, right? And we, it's, we're so frustrated with our kids, but we did exactly the same thing. Right? And we still do exactly the same thing with the Lord. We long for it, we want it, we want it, want it. not realizing we only enjoy the things of this earth to the degree that we're willing to give them back to the Lord, and use them as an object of worship, because nothing on this earth will ever fully satisfy the longings of our heart but Jesus. And so she doesn't pretend to not want in the midst of her waiting, but in the midst of her waiting, she asks and says, I'll give it to you, Lord. So back to Elizabeth. Elizabeth received a child, right? Uh, but her child uh, was a backpacker. <laughs> he went into the wilderness, right? And he wanted to sleep on the ground and eat locusts and wild honey and uh, sleep, on, sleep uh, in, near the creeks and drink out of the, the streams of the desert. And he lived a very short life. She had to immediately give him back to the Lord. Okay? But she had to learn to wait in the process. And the waiting wasn't a punishment, The waiting was a process through which God used her life to bring salvation to others. J. Oswald Sanders, I heard him once say, waiting is one of God's primary tools for sanctification, which is a beautiful statement and also really horrible. And I'm like, God, couldn't you create a different process through which to teach us to trust? But what does it mean to, to wait? I want to take you to Psalm chapter 27, one of David's, Uh, More famous Psalms, he said this Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. He used the same vocabulary in Psalm 130. He said, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning, I wait for the Lord. And that word for wait in Hebrew literally describes a cord or a rope. Metaphorically, it means to wrap yourself around something. In other words, waiting is not a passive activity where you do nothing. It's an active, uh, it's an action where you wrap yourself around. And the question is, are you wrapping yourself around the object that you're longing for, or are you wrapping yourself around the Lord, right? Are you waiting for this thing, expecting that uh, this job, this career, this person, this material thing, that this can satisfy you, or are you wrapping yourself around the Lord, and saying, There's a longing in my heart, and I know that that longing ultimately points to you, and I'll cling to you, Lord. That's what it means to wait, but it's hard to wait. But in the waiting, God is doing something in you and through you that you can't even imagine. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. It says this, shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. What's he talking about? This is not a literal statement. This is, uh, once again, it's, it's an analogy. It's an image of Israel. Israel is pictured as the woman who can't have children. And she's longing for it and pleading for it. Everything in her heart wants it. And the Lord says, because of your longing through you, I'm going to cause you to be fertile and there'll be more sons than you can even imagine. That is, through your longing, I'm going to bring salvation. Through your longing for redemption, I'm going to bring salvation. In other words, this is, is a metaphorical statement of the gospel itself. Because we're all born into the world, in a sense, barren. There's no life in us. And we can't make life within us. Only God can make life within us. But as we reach out to him, we wrap ourselves around him, we cling to him, we say, God, thank you for making life in me in Jesus. He creates life inside of us, right? And we become alive. So the point is this, Israel in its longing, in the midst of its barrenness, no life in it, reached out for the Lord, wrapped itself around the Lord, and the result was not only redemption for Israel, but redemption for all nations, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation through the Messiah. In church, you, just, you never know as you, as you wrap yourself around the Lord in the midst of unfulfilled longing what God can do. You know, Tristie and I never imagined that we wouldn't just immediately be able to have kids. We just didn't anticipate that. We hadn't seen it before. And then when it began to happen, we felt completely and utterly alone. We, we didn't know anyone around us who'd experienced this. Now, once we got deeper into that process, we realized there are a lot of, a lot of people who have wrestled with this and struggled with it. And in the midst of that process, and then even afterwards, God gave us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to point people to Jesus through our unfulfilled longing. Uh, I remember one time we took a, a vacation to the beach, just the two of us, and we met a couple, couple who had struggled for years wanting to have children. Finally, they were, just, they were tired of the process, they were exhausted, they didn't know what to do next, they said, let's go to the beach and we'll get drunk. Okay, I'm not kidding, right? So we met them uh, one day and we talked about this, what they were going through. And we shared this struggle. Saw them the next day uh, in the morning. And they said, well, today we decided we were set this day aside to get r- drunk. Right? L- literally. So um, we, you know, we're at a resort and they started, we saw them in the morning at the beach and they were drinking in the morning. We saw them at lunch and they were drinking. We saw them in the evening, they were drinking. And then we didn't see them the next day. Right? I mean, that, they said, okay, that's what we're going to do on this day. And in the midst of of that unfulfilled longing that we had shared with them, we got to talk to them about Jesus and the longing that's fulfilled in Jesus. Sometimes God God allows those, those extra rocks to go into your pack. It's a burden that you're carrying, but there are people all around you who are carrying the same kind of burden. Or they're carrying their own burden, but they're aching. And as C.S. Lewis reminds us, all of those longings are ultimately longings that can only be fulfilled in Jesus. So when we embrace it, right, we embrace it, then God uses it to do good, not only in us, in our character being strengthened, but also for those around us. So what do we do with the burden of unfulfilled longing? We wait, not passive, but we wrap ourselves around the Lord. We actively wrap ourselves around the Lord and we declare in our hearts. We know that ultimately all of our longings are only met in you. That's the first longing. Our first uh, burden, unfulfilled longing. Mary is the second overwhelming responsibility. Right? Elizabeth shows up first, but Mary is definitely the most important character in in, uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2. I want you to turn back to chapter 1 and verse 26. Mary carried the burden of overwhelming responsibility. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It is now in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, "Greetings, favored one! The Lord is with you." But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now when uh, children arrive, we have all kinds of hopes and dreams for what they will be. Right, and you, you look at them and you observe them. I was just, uh, you know, uh, first time I've gotten to see Adler Scythe, and you know, who, who, what's he going to What's he going to be as a person? Who's he going to grow up to be? Who does he look like now, right? And you, you extrapolate his parents. You see little activities and you go, oh my gosh, look how she crawled. She'll be a dancer. She's going to do ballet, right? Or, oh, look at the milk he poured on the floor. It's like a lab experiment. Be a scientist. Brilliant, right? I mean, you just, and you're, as, I mean, parents, really, you do that. You just launch out there, right? But Mary didn't have to wonder what her son was going to be. The angel said, let me tell you who your son's going to be. He's going to be called the son of God. And he's going to be the king of Israel, and he'll reign from Israel over all nations. No pressure. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, I've always wondered, was it better or worse to know ahead of time? I kind of think it was worse, right? Because then, I mean, I can't imagine Mary not being like a hovering parent, right? I mean, if she'd lived today, she would have made him sleep in a helmet. I mean, it's just, right? You've you got to protect the Savior of the world, Right? No, 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 Jesus, don't pick up that hammer. (coughs) What incredible pressure. What an incredible burden that she carried in her life. And how did she respond to that? Well, she responded in simple trust. Hopes and dreams we have for our kids. We feel the burden and we feel like, and I think uh, all parents, but maybe especially moms, feel like they have to... um, shape that right there's there's a dream that we have and i need to i need to shape it i need to pass on uh, the life lessons and the wisdom that i have a few years ago i actually um i did a little facebook poll and i said tell me tell me your best wisdom you've received from your mom i want to share a few of these with you some of these you may have sent uh, to me personally I said, tell me the best stuff that your mom told you or the most interesting that your mom told you when you were a, a kid here's a few of them I, I like this one first one it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice that's good, and that's clever. You know, that's a good uh, good statement to start with. Uh, you can make the choice to be happy in any situation. I heard that from my mom a lot. Like, this is, this is your choice, right? You guys probably heard that too. Have you prayed about it? Uh, I heard that a lot from my mom. Like, particularly when I would lose something, my mom would say, well, have you prayed? Have you asked the Lord, right? Because remember the parable of the coin? And I'd be like, Mom, I think that's like about salvation or whatever. She'd so, no, let's pray about it. And then it was really annoying because then we would find it. I mean, inevitably, I'm like... So I finally have given in, and if I lose something, I call my mom, and she prays, and we find... It, it still happens, which I'm not sure if that's because uh, we prayed or because moms are like supernatural at finding things. Either way, it works, right? So did you pray about it? Um, bad decisions limit future options. That's good advice. When you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Uh, I like that, you know? Choose your friends wisely. You know that tattoo is never coming off, right? <laughs> uh, for daughters, I had several daughters say, they, they heard this from their mom, never wear sandals with unpolished toes. Sons heard, always wear clean underwear in case you have to go to the hospital. And I did hear that as a, as a child. I remember my mom saying that. Uh, and then here's one that's very culturally relevant, Mary and Aggie. That's good advice. That's good advice. So how did she respond Uh, What what wisdom, in a sense, did she uh, pass along in her response? Look at verse 29. It says, uh, Mary was very perplexed at this statement. That's a really lame translation. Because the word perplexed means basically just, I mean, just shaken up. Her world was turned upside down in that moment. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary asked a question, she goes, Uh, I'm I'm a virgin. How does this work? And the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And she goes, okay. (laughs) I mean, I still don't know what that verse means. I mean, that explanation is, is so cryptic. But in simple trust, she says, okay, I accept. I accept the will of the Lord. I trust the Lord in this moment. And remember this. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old. Young women got betrothed at 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. So her expectation now is, as an unmarried, pregnant woman, that this man she's betrothed to will probably get rid of her. He'll probably break the betrothal, period. Her family may even throw her out of the house. She may find herself a single mom living on the street with no prospects whatsoever to support herself and the child, and yet she says, let it be done to me according to your word. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. That's incredible. At 13 or 14 years old, to have that level of trust in the Lord, it's absolutely stunning. Because This is, this is in a sense, in the simplest terms, all that the Lord asks for us. It says, you, you can't control the outcomes. Right, Mary, this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise the Son of God. <laughs> It's an, it's an overwhelming thing, right, when you walk out that first time to the hospital with a child, right? and moms are thinking, okay, got to think about their character development in college, that kind of thing, right, dads are thinking, hope I got the right one, because right? they all look alike, and they do, they all look alike at that age, and, you know, I'm not going to say, dads, raise your hand, because it's Mother's Day and you'll be in trouble, but they all do, you know, and moms go, no, you know, they, they even, she has her own smell, and you're like, no, they all smell, they all smell alike, they look alike, right, but it's, you know, I'm just poking fun, because it's Mother's Day, I'm poking fun at dads, But it's overwhelming. And Mary, at 13 years old, is told you are going to raise the Son of God. And she says yes. And that's what the Lord asks from us. Say yes. You, You don't have control of the outcomes. All you have control over is to be faithful to that next step that God has called you to. And then God controls the outcome. Parents, your overwhelming burden may be Right now, your children. And you know what? Some of your children won't turn out exactly like Jesus. (laughs) Some of your children may say, I don't want to be anything like Jesus. And that's going to break your heart. It's an overwhelming burden. But you don't have control over it. What do you have control over? Being faithful to take the next step and trust. I I don't know where I found this quote, but I, I do love it. Uh, For parents, relax, it's not your job to create a perfect child or to be a perfect parent. Neither is possible, no matter what your friends try and make you believe about their kids. (laughs) Parenting is rooted in God's grace, not my perfection. What am I responsible for? To trust that the Lord is working and the Lord wants something for my child even more than I do. And maybe the overwhelming responsibility is not uh, your, your children, but maybe it's your marriage or job or health. What is the responsibility Trust, right? Just trust that God is at work. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Highly unlikely, right? But even these could forget, but I will not forget you. So wait, because God has not forgotten. God is not ignoring you. God is not passing you by. God is at work. Even when you're, you're, you're carrying this burden of overwhelming responsibility, the Lord has not forgotten you. So wait. Wrap yourself around, not the longing itself, but wrap yourself around the Lord and trust him. Trust him. Third burden bearer is Anna. Anna is carrying the burden of loss and loneliness. Look at chapter 2 and verse 36. There was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, that is when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for and longing for the redemption of Israel. So, uh, like Mary Anna was married uh, at probably 13, 14 years old. She was married for seven years. So at age 20, she became a widow. And she was either a widow until the age 84, or she was a a widow for 84 years, which is probably what the the Greek language is pushing for here. In other words, at this point in time, she's about 104 105. So she had been carrying this burden of, of loss and loneliness a very, very long time. And some of you may have walked in this morning... Carrying a burden of loss, maybe uh, of a a spouse or of a child. I know we have members who have lost children. Maybe it is uh, the burden, the loss of a marriage. lost that spouse uh, to divorce. There's a loss of a job. There's a loss. There's a loneliness. And you feel when you're in the midst of that like you're completely alone. And the Lord says this, you're not alone. Don't forget this. You're not forgotten. Don't forget you are not forgotten. Psalm 56, David wrote, You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And David had some wanderings, and David had some tears, and David had some, some times of loss and separation from family, and David, David had a, a lot of time alone. And he writes this, You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? Remember this, God has not forgotten. Remember, God has not forgotten, and remember this, as long as you have breath on this earth, God is a calling on your life right there 's purpose and there 's meaning. Anna was a prophetess, that means she prophesied that is she told people truth about God, and for uh, sixty four years or eighty four years we 're not sure which, but uh, probably more like eighty four years, she had been going to the temple every day and praying and fasting, and telling people to wait for God's redemption. Wait for God's redemption. God's going to send redemption. God will redeem us, right? And so when she sees that child, the Holy Spirit honors her longing in her heart and says, this is the one. And so what does she do for the rest of her days? She speaks to everyone she can possibly corner. I mean, I I can't wait to meet Anna because everyone she meets, she corners them and says, let me tell you about salvation in this boy, Jesus. Right? That is, she's an evangelist. For the rest of her days, she is pointing people to Jesus. In other words, the Lord takes her loss and her loneliness, and through it, he uses her to point people to Jesus. My point is this. Every single one of us walked in here this morning probably carrying some burden. It's rare that anyone walks in the door and says, All good. Man, it is all good. And no matter what your burden is, the Lord can use that burden to speak to others and to make you strong. So as we close, I want you to just consider for a moment, what what is the burden you've got today, in this moment? Is it an unfulfilled longing? Then wait. right? Wrap yourself around, not the longing itself, because I'm telling you, no matter what it is, once you get it, you realize, "Mm, it just can't meet the deepest needs of my heart. Whether it's a career, or a possession, or a person, or whatever, you need something more. That only Jesus can give. So, so wrap yourself around him. Is it overwhelming responsibility? Maybe it's for your children. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for your job. You're feeling the weight. Trust. God is at work. God never stops. Never stops working in your life. And he never stops working in your kids life. Or in the lives of the people around you. He's working. And you're stepping into that. So just take that next step of obedience. Or maybe it's loss and loneliness. Remember this. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget you. Remember this, God hasn't forgotten that there's a calling on your life and there's purpose and there's meaning. As long as you have breath in your life, God can take all of these burdens and use them in the lives of others. So, let's embrace those burdens. Let's not pretend that they're they're gone. But in the waiting, as we even still express our wanting, let's allow the God of the universe to strengthen us and make us people of profound character and use us in the lives of others. To point them to Jesus, right? Only redemption in him. That's why God uses this theme of barrenness. Throughout the Bible and in our lives, we're born into the world with no life in us, but life is produced in Jesus. And we have life now in Jesus that we can give to others. So let's do it. Father, I thank you that um, you have not magically removed all of our burdens. But I do pray for, for our church that you would lift the weight, uh, just a little bit. I pray that you would ease the burden or in the process, uh, make us stronger. Father, make us people who, uh, who embrace all of the circumstances you allow into our lives and as a result, we're able to speak to the longings and the needs of others. Father, I pray uh, that we would remember that we are not forgotten, that you are capturing every tear in our bottle. You're recording every day that's difficult in your book and that you love us and care for us. You're working redemption for the world, but you love each and every one of us as your sons and daughters. And we thank you for that this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. We'll see you next week.